And so we're in this series now. We're going to go with the number one requested sermon series or the area that people ask. And it was, Pastor, are we in the end times? Are, are we living in the final days upon the earth before the rapture of the church? Are we in the end times? And I, I hopefully want to bring some insight to you today and help you and relieve some fears maybe some of you are having and yet bring a curiosity enough to deal with the spiritual aspect of it in many of your lives today. Are we living in the final days, the last days? And, and we see so much happening around us today, don't we? And I mean, so many things today that, that generations before us didn't see to the magnitude that we're seeing today. I mean, persecuted Christians around the world, people being beheaded. We see a nation, uh, our nation, in a moral decline at such a rapid pace that we've never seen this rapid of a pace of a, a moral decline in our nation and the history of our nation. So many things that bring unrest and uncertainty in our lives. But I want to talk to you today because do you know that one out of every 30 scriptures in the Bible deals with the end times or the rapture of the church? One out of every 30. So Jesus had a lot to say about this topic, and that's one of the reasons it's always one of those that comes up anytime you ask people, what would you want to hear? This is always one. And then people ask me, they said, well, you do Revelation. I said, well, I, I love Revelation. I did a whole study on it here. Revelation is good, but if you're living in Revelation, you've already missed the rapture. You might want to study the part before it. Are you with me today? You need to know Revelation. Don't get me wrong. And, and I'm a student of the book of Revelation, but if you're in Revelation, the rest of us are already gone. And you might want to go in that first group, all right? And so, but what the question is, Pastor, what time is it? What, what time are we living in? And I want to help you with that. Go to our text today, Matthew 24, verse 3. Let's read it together. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, they said, when is this going to happen, and what will the sign of our coming and the end of, the, of your coming and the end of the age? They, they asked for two things. What time is it, and what do we need to look for? What, what time are we on the calendar of heaven, God, and, and what are the signs that we need to be looking for? And, and the question came to me, and I want to address it today. Pastor, are we living in the last days? And my answer is, I don't know. Because I don't know. Do I believe biblically with all that we're seeing taking place around us today that, that the Bible is showing us that we definitely could be in the last day? Absolutely. But every generation before us thought they were in it too. Including the apostles. And all through Bible, so what does that mean? I need to live like it is the last days but live like I've got a hundred more years left. And, and not panic and realize that regardless of where we are in the calendar, let me put it to you like this. I may not be living in the last days, but I'm living in my last days. Because the Bible says that our time on earth is but a breath. It's but a season, a moment, a, a mist. And so you may not be, and I may not be living in the last days on the calendar of heaven, but according to eternity, we're living in our last days on this earth, and that's what we need to be focused on. And I want to talk to you about that today. 
And, and so what are we seeing today? We're, we're seeing through technology. The Bible says that one of the signs of the coming of the Lord is that the gospel will be preached to all nations. And can I tell you, through technology, the gospel has now been presented to every nation on the earth. And I can tell you, 15 years ago, preaching, I could not stand here and say everything biblically has been fulfilled that has to be fulfilled that the coming of the Lord could take place. But I can without a doubt stand before you today and say there is nothing left in this book that has to be fulfilled for the coming of Christ to take place. Jesus could come today. And that's exciting. Matter of fact, the Bible calls it our blessed hope. You mentioned that to most Christians today and they're like, really? You mean I gotta leave here? For heaven, really? Yeah, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. All right. So 2 Peter, let's go to some text today. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to listen to Peter quite a bit today. In chapter 3, verses 3 through 10, and he says, First of all, this means first, most important, you must understand that in the what? Last days, days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own desires. Person becomes more important than, than purpose. Are you hearing me today? scoffing, making fun of those of us that believe in Jesus Christ and salvation and an end time and a coming and a heaven. They mock us. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? I mean, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. They're like, this ain't the first time you've told us this. Our grandparents said the same thing. And they begin to mock because what the Bible says hasn't happened yet, but because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it's not going to. And so they they mock you and say, ever since, we've been hearing this forever, but here's the thing, but, boy, you need to circle that because anytime there's a but, things are about to change. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water that on one day God just got up in heaven and said, you know what, I think I'm going to create it today. And God just spoke and created the world and brought it into existence in the day there. He just started it. By these waters, the Bible says, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So in one day, God created it, and in one day, he got fed up with it and said, I'm going to get rid of the whole thing, start over again. So in one day, God, there it is, and another day, there it went. All right, you with me? By the same word. What word? The word that created it and the word that destroyed it. By the same mouth of the same God and the same word, the present heavens and earth are preserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. See, we're trying to get locked in on this calendar thing. But a day with the Lord's like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, if you go study Jewish culture, the Jewish calendar and Jewish scholars teach that the earth is a, a seven-day earth that one day to the Lord represents a thousand years. Stay with me for a second. So in the Jewish teaching, they teach that the earth will only exist for 7,000 years, and then it will be destroyed. And that goes back to 4,000 years before Christ was born, So 4,000 of the 7,000 are gone, 
And 2,000 after that brings us to where we are today. So 6,000 years have gone by on the Jewish calendar of an earth that they say will only last for 7,000 years. And we go, whoo, 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 whoo. That means I got 1,000 years to live like I want to, and then I'll repent toward the end. Sorry to mess up your party, because if I had a big clock right here, and here's noon, here's 12 o'clock, you got to remember that in Christian teaching, the last 1,000 years is the millennium reign of Christ which means that the rapture has taken place at the end of the 6,000 years to move into the final 1,000 years. And so if the Jewish teaching is true, put 12 o'clock here, and, and we're about right there. So don't party down too hard. Are you with me today? And so we've got to come and understand that, that Jesus then goes on and says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Come on, how many is glad God's been long-suffering with us? Any, anybody in here besides me, man, glad didn't, God didn't just come down and go, you know, I just ended all, let them all go to hell, you know? But how many is glad he's in heaven? I, I pictured God when I was reading this, Sister Gladys, and you're the Bible scholar, all right? And so don't correct me up here if I'm wrong right now in front of everybody. Just do it in my office. But I can just see God. I'm going to do a Brad Livingston thing, okay? I can just see God up in heaven, and, and he's like, you know what? I'm so fed up with all that nonsense down there. Jesus, just go ahead and mount them up, and then he He'll look down and go, no, 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 get that horse back down because I just saw a whole new group down there is getting ready to turn their lives over to me. Just, just hold it off another few more days. Come on, how many glad you serve a God that's waiting on your mama, waiting on your daddy, your relatives, your family, your friends, that he's long-suffering, that he can bring as many in as he can before that door is shut and it's too late. Then he ends it, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in them will be laid bare. So what, what is mankind gonna look like in these last days? Number one, get your notes out. They will be caught up in the cares of life. In these last days, man is gonna be caught up. Many and the majority are gonna be caught up in the cares of life. The Bible says scoffers announcing that this religious thing is for the nuts and that we only have one life to live, so live it up and party down. These religious folks, they've been saying that stuff for generations and it hadn't happened. Why are we gonna believe it now? And, and what's gonna happen is they're gonna come to this place that they're caught up in the cares of life. And, and we have to look at the question and ask the question, where do we stand in this? Where do, where do I really fit in this thing called the cares of life? How much of my world, how much of the world am I really focused on? How much of my life is focused on heaven and how much is focused on earth? Am I caught up in the cares of life? Where's my attention and efforts put the most? How, how much time do I spend in worship? And how much time do I spend in work? How much time do I spend in prayer? And how much time do I spend in playing? How much time do I spend in the Word? How much time do I spend in the world? How much time do I give in my witness? And how much time do I implant just to me? Where am I focusing my life? Where am I caught up? Am I caught up in the heavenly things and preparing for that day? Or am I in love with this world? Am I caught up in it? 
You see, we may not be living in the last days, but everyone in this room is living in our last days, as I said earlier, because James declares that our life is so short to eternity that it's nothing but a breath. In Matthew 24, 37 through 39, it says, And it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the, in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And here's what I want you to get. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That's garbage. That's what they said. They said they knew nothing about it. They knew everything about it because Noah had been preaching to them for years that the rain's coming. The floods are coming. And they're like, rain what? We don't even know what rain is. We've never seen rain before. And, and the rain came, and they're outside the boat going, we didn't know. But the door wouldn't open again because they did know and they rejected the truth. And can I tell you, that's what the world is saying, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to go, you didn't tell us. And God's going to go, no, you've had all this extra long-suffering time of grace, and you rejected my word, and the door shut, and I cannot go against my word and open it again. And it's not that we don't know. It's where is our attention? Where, where are we focusing? Don't expect from the world what we're not doing in the church. And if we're not intensely in love with Christ, how do we expect the world to want to be? That we cannot be locked up with this world. Number two is that the world, the, the people and society is gonna become spiritually calloused. Boy, and do we not see that right now? Such a spiritual hardening of people's hearts toward God and spiritual things. But can I say this to you today, and we're going to jump positive right here. The gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading around the world, and Christians are being saved right now at a rapid number more than ever in history. Right now. In China. Every day, every day in China right now, 35,000 Chinese are giving their heart to Jesus every day in China right now. 9.8% of the Chinese population of 1.3 billion people are now born-again Christians in China. Come on, let's give God praise. That's souls, man. America is seeing Christianity decline or just hold stable in most areas. The problem in America today is that we're calling good evil and evil good, and so we have a hard time judging what's Christian and what's not today because we no longer have a line of what is right and what is wrong. But what we've got to come and understand today is that, that God is wanting to bring some truth to the church. Let, let me show you something in history here. Watch this. This, this is America. Bible-based Christians, watch this. They were called the builders, those that were born in 1927 and 1945. In that time frame, 65% of Americans were confessing Christians. From 1946 to 1964, they were called boomers. I am one of them. I almost made the busters, but was short, okay? But I'm one of those boomers. 35% of my generation were confessing Christians. Then the busters came along, 1965 to 1983, 16% only were confessing Christians are. And then the bridgers of the millenniums, 1984 until today, only 4% are confessing Christians in America today. 
Does anybody see a pattern besides me? Why? The spiritual heart of man is becoming calloused. It's become hardened toward the things of God. And this is why we are so serious around here about providing ministry to our children and our teens. We are dead set on it that I do not want to help your children survive. I'm not here to protect your children. I'm here to prepare your children to become the greatest leader in the kingdom of God, whether they're a president, whether they're a business owner, whether they're a preacher. I'm not here to protect our children only. I'm here with this team to equip our children from the nursery to the kids' home to the student ministry. That's why we've got mentorship classes. You come here any Wednesday, and there's a group of teenagers back there after school in a Bible study and a mentorship before 70 to 80 of them come in here for a worship service on Wednesday night. 34 children gave their heart to Jesus two Sundays ago in the back building during the church services, giving their heart to God because we're not here to babysit. We're here to impact. We're watching teenagers come and give their heart. You see teenagers here, many of them are going with their families today, but there'll be 25 to 35 to 40 teenagers in here on Sunday, but there's many more than that here on Wednesday night because they don't come on Sundays yet because they're just getting saved. We hadn't got them to the Sunday experience yet, but boy, we're getting them on the Wednesday night first. And that's why there's lights up here. And boy, do we get criticized for all of this. You are to see the stuff my wife and I get. Not from you, but from people that don't even go here. So why bother? It's like you, your church looks like a bar, looks like a club. You got lights and fog machines. Well, put a picture of your traditional church with pews and no lights and put it next to a nursing home or a funeral home and they look just alike to me. I'll take the lights and the life. Just thought I'd throw that in because it felt good, all right? Does that do anything for me? I'm 57, I don't need lights, but you know what? If it helps young people come in here and find God and have an experience that makes them feel comfortable and they're gonna go to their school with motivation and go tell their friends about Jesus, all of us that are already saved, just get over it and get on board with it and say a hallelujah, thank you God, you're touching young people's lives. Good preaching right there. I might take another offering for that, all right? Here's my question. If America looks like it does now with the 35%, what's it going to look like with the four? No, we got to impact that 4% and bring it back up. And so we've got to come and realize today that God is wanting to change our hearts and melt our hearts again and remove that hardness. Number three, what's the world going to look like? What are people going to look like in these final days? They're going to be caught unaware. Going to be caught unaware. Most will not be ready during the final hour. In Matthew 24, 40 through 42, it says two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at a hand mill and one will be taken and the other left. And here's the words I want you to get. What does this say? Therefore what? Keep Watch. Therefore, keep watch. Stay awake. Work hard. Make a difference. Stay awake. Go to work. Do your life, but make a difference. But you've got to be watching. You can't be ignorant. You can't be closed-minded to what the Spirit's trying to say to us as a Christian. This is not a time to dig a foxhole and wait for the rapture. 
This is time to bust out the greatest opportunity in the history of the church of America is right now. Not when Paul was here, not when John was here, not when Peter was here, not when Moses was here. The greatest opportunity to impact a world with the hope of Jesus is right now. And we can't go find a closet and hide and say, oh God, I can't deal with the world. No, the world's got to deal with us. We have the truth of Christ inside of us. The Shemitah's here. The Shemitah, the Jewish calendar, it's got many upset, many fearful. The 13th of September is the Shemitah on the calendar. All the previous Shemitahs for the last uh, 20 to 30 years has been an economic collapse except for one. Are we going to face an economic collapse this month? I don't know. But I know Jehovah Jireh in heaven that's going to provide for my family and I and this congregation and you and your family. Before there was an iron dome to protect Israel, there was a heaven dome. I stood by the iron dome in Israel months ago, right when Hamas was at war and, and, and Hezbollah was at war with the Israel. We stood on the border where the rockets were flying and we stood there by the iron dome. I was from uh, Ashley to the iron dome and, and we were asking these young so two female soldiers, one 18 and one 20 years old, were answering our questions all geared up with their armor and one of the pastors said, let me ask you a question. What happens if the iron dome misses the rocket or doesn't intercept a rocket and it comes into the, the civilian territory and, and and that young soldier looked at us with no fear in her eyes and she said, sir, before we ever got the iron dome, we had a God zone, a dome, a heaven dome and he's been protecting us way before we ever got this. And can I tell you today, we're under the covenant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We are under the covenant that God has made with his chosen when we stand according to the word of God. It's not a time to get callous. It's not a time to be caught unaware. It's a time to know the season, be watchmen on the wall and be ready to represent the kingdom in the greatest opportunity we've ever had. Amen. It is. Therefore, keep watch for you do not know on what day your Lord will come. First Thessalonians 5.2 says, for you know very well. See, I don't know what day he's coming, but he did tell me you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This isn't on your notes. I should have put it in there so I'll somehow get it to you. But you see, you do not need to know what time it is as much as you need to know what to do with the time you have. We don't need to know what time it is as much as we need to know what to do with the time we have. That's good. That's worth coming to church for right there. Amen. You ought to throw another $100 in the preacher's hunting fund for that. Hunting season's only like a month away if anybody wants to donate. All right, but anyway, that's all a joke for guests. That's a joke, okay? Don't need your money, all right? Okay? But can you, can you get with me today that we've got to come and understand you do not need to know. Everybody's so interested in what time is it that they're forgetting what I need to be doing in the time that I have. And so we've got to come and realize, what should I do then? Okay, here they are real quick. Number one. As a Christian, what should I be doing in these days, these time, this, this period of time, this season? What should I be doing? First Chronicles 12, 32 says, The men of Issachar understood the times. Look at this. The men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And so we must understand the time that we're in that according to biblical prophecy, yes, 
We can support everything can support that, yes, we're probably living in the final days of the church upon this earth. Jesus could very well come back today before I ever finish this message. He very well could. And so I need to live that way. But if he doesn't, I need to be accountable for the day that I had. And make sure that my focus was in being busy. How many knows that more people are going to get caught up in the rapture while they're serving than folks that are over here hiding, hoping that he comes today to rescue them? Now, you want to be busy. when You want to get to heaven with your tongue hanging out and exhausted. That I worked the last second I had to bring as many into the kingdom as I can. And he'll say, now enter into a spirit and a rest of peace. You shouldn't wind up in heaven full of energy. You ought to go in there totally exhausted. Saying, I gave the last minute I had to the kingdom. Now let me enter your rest. And when you get to heaven and you go fishing, you'll catch a big one every time. You got to come today and grab hold of what God is saying. So we've got to understand the time and know what to do. Listen, don't waste the most valuable time in history trying to figure out the date and miss the opportunity. Don't waste the greatest time in history. Y'all hear me today? We are living in the greatest time in history for the Christian and the church. Yes, there's persecution out there. Yes, it's ugly out there. But the darker it becomes, the easier it is for the light to be seen. And it's our greatest hour in history for the church to stand up and proclaim the love of Jesus and the gospel of grace and the message of the cross and redeem a lost world and bring hope to families that are broken. I have texts this morning that are like this long from families that are hurting. They don't even go to this church, but someone gave them my number, and they're desperate. Early this morning, another one texts me, just saying, my family, my heart, I'm broken, and, and can you help me? And, and the world's crying out. Our phone this morning in between services back there, a lady called it, and my life is a wreck, and I'm ruined, and we got to pray with her on the phone. We're not having to chase them down. They're coming to us because they're desperate. Don't miss the greatest opportunity on your job, and your workplace, on your boys' ball team, on your girls' cheerleading squad. Don't miss the greatest opportunity the church has ever had trying to figure out a time clock and miss the opportunity. Are you with me today? So what do we do? The question is not, are we living in the last days? The real question is, what are you doing with your life in the last days? And so the, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 3, the prudent, this isn't in your notes, so write it down. Proverbs 22, 3, I'm always at the last minute trying to figure something, you know? The prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And so what are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I've told the staff, and we've met with all of our coaches and the leadership of this church, and that's over 100 people, by the way. And, and we've met and talked with them, and we've challenged them that to have one month of supplies saved up in your house, non-perishable food, water. Are you panicking? No, that's called preparing. Because it may not be the rapture. It might be another hurricane. It may be another flood. It may be another electrical outlet in a storm and no power. And what I want Transformation Church to be is a group of people ready to minister to people. We're not having to worry about getting in line at Winn-Dixie and Publix trying to take care of our family. We're ready to take care of other families. 
My family's got three months. We've had it. We keep it three months. And if the rapture or crisis don't come, we just we have dates on everything. We eat it and put some more in there. I got 40 gallons of gas in my garage. Stays there. If I don't have an emergency, I put it in the tank and fill them back up. But I want to know that if a crisis comes to this community, we're ready to minister to people and their family, and we don't have to go try to save ourselves. We can be saving others. Well, are you with me today? And that's what Jesus is saying. Be a prudent man. Don't panic. Don't live in fear, but be ready to minister the gospel. So let's look at three things real quick. So here, here's the thing. Number one, if you're going to be fruitful in this time, here's the answer. You got to think with a clear mind. You got to think with a clear mind. First Peter 4, 7. And the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that what? You can pray. And that's why, man, we have a prayer meeting here on Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock, and there's some real deal. And then Tuesday mornings, every Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, and great numbers are coming, and God's moving. Why? Why is prayer so important here? Because when you pray, you clear your mind. You begin to think heavenly. You begin to think eternal. And he comes in and says, now, here's what you do. You got to get clear-minded and get self-control. How many knows prayer brings self-control in your life? Don't pray for a few days, let the enemy tempt you on stuff, and you're just free reign. But you talk to Jesus this morning, the enemy tempts you with something, we ain't going there. Done been with Jesus, that ain't happening. And he's saying you got to clear your mind. Here's the fact, 62% of Americans believe in the coming of Jesus, but only 8% have now admitted that they're true followers of Christ. In America, 62% believe in the coming of Jesus, but only eight are actively following and serving him with their life. Something's wrong with that picture. We've got to come today and grab hold and clear our mind. Clear our mind. You can read in the scripture there in, in Philippians where Jesus said, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm crying over this, that there are many who conduct uh, shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. He says, you say you're Christians, but your life doesn't show that. But we, come on, circle we. Come on, that's us right here, right? We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them to glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Don't take earth so seriously because you're not gonna be here that long. Take people seriously. Number two, we will deeply care about others. What are we to do in this final hour? Deeply care about others. I'm gonna give these to you quickly. In 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9, he said, above all, love each other deeply. Well, do we not see society through, through social issues, racial issues, political issues, religious issues, trying to divide us in every way it can? Don't we see that? And Jesus said in this last days, the church is gonna deeply care about others, the true church, deeply care because love covers a multitudes of sins, offers hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why do you think God said that? Love, 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 love people deeply. Why do you say that? Because people are the only thing we can take to heaven with us. All that other stuff that's good to have, I love to hunt, like a good bow, love a boat, love a car that cranks when I turn the key. 
I like stuff. I like big toys. But I want to tell you something. Nothing thrills me more. Nothing satisfies me more to get to lead another person to Jesus and know we just changed eternal life in someone's life. He said, you got to love that way. All right? And how do you do that? How do you deeply care about others? Get involved in small groups. How can I do that, Pastor? Get involved in a small group. Our small group semester starts next week. Get online. Find a small group. Get connected. Join a team. This coming week, come on. We just get into a small group and build relationship and start learning to love other people. Number three is serve others with compassion. Peter again speaks to us in chapter four. He says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. God's saying, I've given you gifts. I've given you grace. I've equipped you with talents and giftings, and I want you to go use those now to impact people. And can I say this to you as a pastor of this church, Transformation Church? My desire is not to fill this building and every seat in it three and four and five times so people can hear me preach. That's not my desire. My desire is to help every person that comes to this church find your purpose, to find why God created you, to find that talent and that gift that's inside of you that God put there, that you now can go on your job and in the marketplace and here at church and whether you're in the parking lot ministry or the greeters or the ushers or the connect team or the nursery or the coffee or the production team or the prayer ministry or the worship team or the children, whatever your gift, my desire and my ultimate goal is to help you find your purpose in God and go out and change the world with it. It's not about filling seats with people to say, rah, rah, look what we had. No, I want us to go. I'd rather have 100 people impacting this city than have 1,000 doing nothing. That we find our purpose, and that's our goal. How do we do that? Come to Grow Track tonight. 101, if you haven't been. If you've been, then get involved in your gift and use it to impact somebody's life for the glory of the gospel. Amen? Get an amen on that? All right? And then here we go. Here's what I want you to see because we're living in the greatest generation ever, and I've got to wrap up here, but here's what I want you to see. If you look at a chart, and I just looked at this, I want you to hear this. If you look at a chart from from zero to year 2000, and you look at the population and you look at the number of people that have come to Christ in America, you will see that number stay stable all the way 2,000 years. It just hangs right down here on the bottom. But from 2000 to 2015, we have seen more people come to Christ in the last 15 years in America than we did the whole 2,000 years prior. It's a fact. Come on, we give God praise for that. More people in America have come to Jesus in the last 15 years than the 2,000 years prior. Why? If you look at that, the population of America has skyrocketed in the last 15 years, mainly because of medical science and keeping people alive. And and our insurance people can identify with that because the lifespan's gone way up. And what happens that the population has increased vastly, but so have the converts. And let me show you something else. Islam. Everybody notice there's a whole lot of tension on Islam right now? But see, what the enemy thinks he's doing to do something negative, God's setting up a stage for salvations. That's why the attention's on Islam. Let me share something with you. There's nine main branches that Islam comes forth in, in society. But somewhere around 700 A.D., Islam was established 
And from 700 A.D. until 2000, 1,300 years, there was zero movement of Christianity impacting the Islamic nation. But watch this. Since 2000, there have been over 7 million Muslims a year for the last 15 years. 105 million Muslims have given their lives to Jesus Christ. What is it when the church finds our purpose? And we don't make the world our enemy, we make it our mission field. We have only a few hours left, a few days left, and we must make the impact that we can make the greatest. And last of all, number four is we must commit to receive and to give God's grace. To both receive, how many is thankful for God's grace? How many is glad you're in a grace church? I mean, you're not coming here every Sunday feeling worse than you got here. I, does everybody feel better when you leave here on Sunday? <laughs> you know, like, I, I've been in churches where I had to get saved every Sunday because the preacher done told me I'm going to hell 42 times. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to say, well, I need to or not, just in case he's right. <laughs> and then if he don't tell me to go to hell, he's done got my offering three times. Dear God, there ain't nothing left to give you, man. Okay, you're not going to go through that here. We're Grace Church, but let me tell you something. Grace does not give me the, the okay to go live for the enemy. Grace allows me to have the ability to walk in the presence of Jesus, to live a victorious life over the enemy. God said, I want to give you grace, but I want you to now be willing to give that same grace away. And that's why we have four steps in this church. And, and that's the, we're going to be adjusting some of the words. That's salvation, deliverance, redemption, and fulfillment. And we want you to know God. Then we want you to walk in deliverance. The Bible said, let every man work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. And you may have your part down, but don't judge Johnny because he's still working on his. Go help him. Give grace where God gave grace to you. Let's be a grace church, a grace people, not just at church. Let's be equally graceful when everybody around us isn't church people. And they're cussing and doing their thing and telling their jokes and spitting their sputter. And they're going through all their stuff. But you know what? We're full of grace. We're here to offer you grace. Because one day in the midst of all of my stuff, along came Jesus. And he didn't come with a two-by-four to beat me into salvation, but he came with arms open wide full of grace to love me into a presence that would change my life forever. We have a hurting world around us today. And it's going to become more hurting. It's going to become more desperate. And here's what I close with. 2 Peter 3. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, the question Peter asks is, what kind of people ought you to be? We ought to be people of grace. People that will give what God has already given to us. So how many will receive God's word today? And say, Pastor, I realize today my job is not to try to identify the clock. My job is to try to identify my purpose my job's not to try to answer what time is it. My job's to try to be as busy as I can with whatever time I have left to impact as many as I can with the hope of Jesus. Because if I'm doing that, it doesn't matter what time he's coming. I'm busy and ready when he gets here. Will you bow your heads with me and across this building, I want to ask a question. Before I do that, I want to read a scripture while your heads are bowed. It's found in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord 
and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. And I want you to know if you're in this building today and you say, Pastor Dan, there's things in my life, there's, there's, there's been some stuff that's happened and there's been a lot of hurt and there's been bad decisions on my part or offenses that have come my way and whatever, Pastor, I can blame others, I can blame myself, but I find myself away from the grace of God. I find myself in a place spiritually I do not want to be. And I'm ready for change in my life. I'm ready to come home to Jesus. I'm ready for that pardon that his scripture says is available for me today. Pray for me. I promise you I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to come to you, embarrass you. I just want God to see your hand more than me right now. And if that's you right now and you need Jesus to change your life, you just need that new start, that pardon. Some hands are already going up. Would you lift your hand right now? Hands going up all over this building right now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Maybe you're online and you need to make that decision today. You, you want to receive the grace and the pardon of Jesus today. You can join us right there where you are. If you raised your hand or you did not and you need to make that choice today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today. I desperately need your grace. Father, today I come humble, broken, and hurting. But today... I offer my life completely and fully to you. You said in your word, if I would come to you, confess with my mouth that you are Lord. Believe in my heart that you raised from the dead. I can be saved. So right now, I come, I confess, I believe, and I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name. According to your word, I'm saved. I'm a brand new person in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we give heaven and God an amazing thank you? Thank you, God.